thanks very much for coming. I appreciated uh, what you said, uh, most of it. Some of it I would uh, question. My name is John Wong. Uh, I'm a chartered accountant. I was a uh, certified financial planner before I retired eight years ago. Um, and I was one of these dreaded salesmen. I was licensed to sell mutual funds and life insurance, and that's what I did. My question to Larry would be um, that most, if not all, well, no, let's say most people in the room and most people in Westbridge need professional help in planning for their retirement, for their estate planning, for their children's education. So, and most people do not have the time, the temperament, the training, or the interest to do it on their own. So they need professionals to help them. So as, as a financial planner, I'm not sure how Larry would compensate me for helping my clients. Um, and I can only think of two major ways to do it. One would be for me to charge fees to my clients, and the other way is by earning commission by selling them product. Larry alluded to the fact that the commissions earned by salesmen are not necessarily disclosed to the client. And from the point of view of mutual funds, I would suggest that all commissions paid to, to um, salesmen are uh, set out in the prospectus, and each client gets a prospectus when they buy an investment. So my question today is, in order to compensate financial planners for helping people to plan for their retirement, how would you suggest that they be paid? Thank you, John. I appreciate the question. John is very well respected in the industry. He was starting in the business about the time I was starting in 1984-ish. And we've uh, crossed paths many times over the years. Um, quick answer to your question. I'd like to see us follow uh, or look very closely at what other countries have done. John, uh, United, uh, United Kingdom has just passed a resolution where they will be trying to ban the paying of commissions to give financial advice, or they will be trying to separate selling of investment products from giving investment advice. <coughs> Australia has done, uh, has taken similar steps, and, an, and, and a bill was just brought into Congress this year um, trying to prohibit conflicted investment advice. Um, and that, that's being talked about in Congress. How would they be paid? Um, paid by um, assets or fees or hourly costs, just like a lawyer or an accountant or another another professional might be paid. I would hate to go to a doctor who is on a commission. I would hate to deal with an accountant or a lawyer who is on a commission. Um, I would be afraid that sometimes I wouldn't get advice that is that is in my complete best interest. I might get advice that can be biased by the amount of compensation paid, and that's a, that's a very easy conflict of interest to move beyond. Very hard for the industry to move that direction with so many people selling, telling that we give advice for free and hiding the fact that that advice is a selling proposition. 
uh, it's very hard for an honest man to charge a fee for financial planning. And John also pointed out that I was a little bit hard on investment people, and I should state that I only think that about 8 out of 10, or in some cases 9 out of 10 based on the sales numbers, are going to put their interests and their revenues ahead of clients' interest. I will maintain that there's 10 or 20 percent of the investment people out there who are true professionals and who truly try to put their clients' interests first. The investment firms make that very difficult at times. Any other questions? While I'm waiting for a brave man to come to the microphone and ask a question, I will say that there is a letter on the uh, table out front to Premier Ed Stelmack asking for a public inquiry into some of the allegations I make. I don't ask you to believe everything I say. I ask you to lend your voice to say, why don't we look into it? If it's true, then we're being robbed. If it's not true, then I am truly a fool. Yes, sir. Yes, Larry. Thank you very much for that wonderful presentation. My name is Wayne Hawthorne. A little louder, Wayne. Good to see you. A little you. louder? Yep. Thank you, Larry. Great job. My name is Wayne Hawthorne. You have a great website that I was going through this morning, and in it, it gave the advice that if you want to buy Canadian property, that you should do it through a U.S. exchange because you are protected there. Can you explain that, please? I'm quoting from Claude Lemoureux, who was the uh, chair of the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, it's the largest or the second largest pension organization in Canada, pension fund. He's the investment manager, and he was quoted in the National Post newspaper a number of years ago as saying that he would only buy investments on a U.S. exchange. So if he's going to buy a Canadian company, he'll buy it in the United States because the United States has rules and regulations. They actually put people in jail in the United States for defrauding the public. So if he buys a Canadian company on a U.S. exchange and it turns out that that company turns out to be fraudulent, the U.S. is likely to prosecute. Canada is not. Northern Telecom is being charged criminally in the United States. In Canada, no investigation, no charges. Conrad Black was charged in the United States. If, um, if someone wishes to create a financial crime and not go to jail, Canada is the place to commit it. That's why some of the smartest people in the business would say you're unprotected and you should be looking to buy in jurisdictions where they have, uh, where they enforce the regulations. I, I guess I'll look at Bernie Madoff. He was in jail in six months and our counterpart in Canada who was sentenced within a very short time from Bernie Madoff was Garth Drabinsky of Live Ent Entertainment. It took us 11 years to sentence Garth Drabinsky in Canada. Bernie Madoff was in jail in six months. Many people in this room will die long before justice is seen on investment scams in Canada. I know of more suicides in Canada from the victims of financial crime than I know of prosecutions in Canada. That's a very sad statement. Thanks, Larry, for a very informative talk. My name is Knut Peterson. Could you speculate a little bit about why politicians are reluctant to make some rules here in Canada, both provincially and federally? Surely some of these people must have lost a buck or two. I, I will try, but I don't know that I can do it justice on um, 
in my film, I try to reach a conclusion that, um, and, I, and I look at a book called The Lucifer Effect, and it's how good people are, are able to do things, evil things. And I'm reading a book by Dr. Robert Hiranaka that I, that I find speaks to that topic as well. And people find themselves in a system, whether it be a corporate system or a government system or a political system like we have today, and they have to march in step with that system. They cannot rock the boat. People who rock the boat, like myself, aren't extremely welcome in a lot of crowds. Uh, inside the political system in Alberta, I don't think we want to address the fact that that financial crime is costing Albertans more than every other crime in the country combined. I would not want to address that if I were the Premier or the Finance Minister. I would be highly embarrassed if that were happening under my watch. And so um, I, can, I can say, read the book, The Lucifer Effect. It'll tell you better than my answer. And it will tell you why there is a tendency towards see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil too often. Hi, Larry. Al Barnhill. Thank you very much for coming out and uh, raising these issues. Uh, it's interesting, the last time you did this, it was also in the company of police. A <laughs> little louder. I could go down with the damn thing. Is this part of lunch? <laughs> Anyhow, I'll make it short. Thank you, Larry. I commend you wholeheartedly for what you're doing. I'd make an observation that the financial sector, which has now been really revealed for what it's been in the last year, has probably strengthened your case, but it's symbolic or symptomatic of a much larger milieu of corporate exploitation. So pick your industry and you've got the same or similar kinds of rip-offs of, uh, of the public. Open up your box of cornflakes, your new box of cornflakes. Buy some fencing and see how it's a diminished product. Anyhow, question? Oh, I want to make one comment here about the gentleman who wanted to know how investment advisors should be paid. I would suggest that they should be paid a percentage of the increased return of their clients. Maybe. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple out there that do that. Okay. Anyhow, the question, do you think that the last year and the revelations that have come about from these <laughs> financial malfeasances, nicest term I can think of, will continue to provide any impetus to bring controls, meaningful controls, and how do you separate the financial powers and all that they have from the politicians? Good luck. Thank you, uh Okay. Any any hope of uh, of these financial scandals causing a change? And uh, with that, I would say that if these if the if the environment we're going through today does not cause people to sit up and take notice and have their voice heard, then I am afraid I am going to tell you that all hope is lost. We are done economically. Uh, we would be a bankrupt country. The amount of billions of dollars that, that uh, can be taken out of this economy without your knowledge, without your information, without any prosecution, without anybody batting an eyebrow is, is too great to support.
20, somebody told me $20 billion was the cost, the economic damage from the World Trade Center collapse in uh, 9-11. Uh, $20 billion, Canada is facing that kind of a penalty year after year after year after year. How could we possibly in this little country absorb, swallow, or uh, afford to pay for two or three World Trade Center disasters each and every year? Um, you'll have to. Our, our economy will have to have four jobs just to make uh, make ends meet. Uh, go ahead. Thank you, Larry. My name is James Moore. Um, I just want to set the table for my question with a, a comment, and maybe you can answer the comment. <clears throat> when the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, really when the uh, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. Um, got caught with their fingers in the Enron cookie jar. I noticed that they paid $2.4 billion and said they didn't do anything wrong as part of the settlement. Um, where would that money go? I mean, they paid to whom? That's not my question. That's my comment. Okay. $2.4 billion is paid to the University of California, California Pension Plan, I believe. They uh, felt they were damaged by misleading false information on which they based their, excuse me, investments of the California public employees. Thank you. And then my question. Mm -hmm. When the uh, city of Lethbridge gave $32 million to National Bank for one of the products in your uh, Exemption paper that was put on our table there. Um, it wouldn't have been more advisable for rather than uh, agree to uh, a condition that they couldn't see or they couldn't get any redress from the banks for, for this product, this toxic product. Um, would it have been impossible to say, can we get everything to money back and we didn't do anything wrong? Yes. Yes. If, if I was sold a $32 million flat screen TV from Walmart that didn't work, I would go back to Walmart and get my $32 million back. Unfortunately, the city of Lesbridge doesn't operate like that. Perhaps it's not their money. Perhaps it's not important enough to bang the table and say, I would like my money back, please. Perhaps this is the investment industry and we want to tell you when you get your money back. Thank you very much. Uh, as a matter of fact, the investment industry in Canada, when this asset-backed commercial paper unfolded, in the United States, I saw a picture in the paper of the President, the Treasury Secretary, the FBI, and the finance people meeting, walking across the White House lawn, saying, we will get to the bottom of this. I saw no such cooperation in Canada. I saw no political figures, no securities commissions, no investment dealers associations. I saw a private lawyer who went in and formed a group, and the very first thing they asked for was immunity from lawsuit for selling this stuff. Why would they do that? The very second thing they asked for was immunity from criminal prosecution. Why would they ask for that? No authorities of any kind involved in the largest theft in financial history. Uh, you make a very good point. The police weren't invited. 
The Securities Commissions would not wish to investigate this, although some of them are now talking about it. Why would you investigate something where you passed a legal exemption? Would you investigate the people that violated the law, or would you investigate yourself because you granted, you yourself granted a legal permission to go ahead and violate that law? This is toxic product being introduced into our economic food chain, and people have metaphorically died, and now no one wants to fess up for the fact that these people allowed this toxic product in. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but it was a very good question, and I appreciate it. I tried to get the other half of Al's good question, and uh, the image came to mind as he was saying, uh, what, what can we do? I would have liked to put in my film an image I saw of a documentary of the Los Angeles riots. And there was a minute or two of a videotape on a, on a documentary. Someone will know about it and you'll tell me where to find it. And it showed the police who were afraid to enter into the downtown area of Los Angeles because they were afraid of the power and the strength of the people on the streets. And as soon as the people on the streets realized that there will be no police visiting this area today, they went wild. They trashed the place. They broke the windows. They carried everything away. You've seen video on the news of people carrying away television sets and articles of clothing and all that kind of stuff. I suggest to you that's an image I would have liked to have used in my documentary. The financial industry realized there is no police in Canada. There is no prosecutions. There is no enforcement. It is a free ride, except they're all wearing suits and ties, and they don't go on the streets, and they don't break windows. But they can run wild, and they can get away with anything they'd like. Yes, Everett. Everett, that's a big tribute. Thank you, Larry, for your presentation. It appears that the Security Commission provides security for the people that write the paper and sell the stuff to you, but it doesn't seem to provide security for the general public that makes the investment. What can we do to make a change that we get a Security Commission that's independent and neutral? So we can be protected. Both parties can be protected. The best I can come up with is a letter to the Premier of the province saying, I would like to see a public inquiry into this. I would like some questions answered. I, I can't get answers from the investment industry. The Alberta Securities Commission will not speak on this topic. Iris Evans has been given at least a year and at least six letters from me asking her to come clean on this topic. And she is definitely in the senior legal camp. And so I've, uh, I've provided a letter out on the table out front. If you wish your voice to be heard, if you are concerned, I would say send that letter to the Premier of the province. And if 100 people do that or 1,000, we may get an answer. I'm not, uh, I'm not certain we will, but we may. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, I will... Uh, I will be giving this presentation again with the permission of my wife at the Mocha Cabana on Sunday night. So if there are people here who would like to see this again or like to invite somebody who they think would like to see this uh, Sunday night downtown Lethbridge, I will be repeating this for the benefit of anyone who uh, would like to hear this maybe in a little more. Thank you. Yeah. My name is Pat McSweet, and thank you, Aunt Mary. It was excellent. Let's care what's out of me. <laughs> uh, when the current crisis began to unfold, a lot of Canadian politicians started to say our banking system is sound and safe. 
and a few other foreigners said that too. And uh, they say that the Canadian banking system is uh, really to be admired. Where does that come from? I was shocked to hear some of the names of the major banks mentioned in your speech. And then how come everybody admires our banking system? That's a really good question. I answer it this way. Our banking system in Canada is five or six banks, and the United States is 5,000. You have very little choice in Canada who you deal with. Some people call it an oligopoly. It is merely a monopoly. So, yes, they are strong, and they are sound, and they are mighty, and that is because they can do things like charge us as Canadians $25 billion a year more on mutual funds than we would be paying in any other country in the world. That according to University of Toronto professor Keith Ambashir. $25 billion pension haircut, he calls it, in his study. So because we have limited competition in Canada, for the same reason that people go south of the border to buy their cars, motorcycles, and other goods from time to time, we can't get financial competitive products up here. It means the banks are extremely healthy and extremely strong because they get to charge us an extremely large amount of money. Um, some people say the banks have a license to print money. I say it goes beyond that. They can get, a viol they can get permission to violate the laws if they need to sell something bad enough. So not only do they have a license to print money, they can get a license literally to violate the laws. Imagine how much money you could make in any business if you could do that. Thank you. Um, one last request. If, if I could ask, if anyone knows where I can give this presentation, I'm a bit of a man on a mission, so I will go to Kiwanis, Rotary, Kinsman. Thank you, Public Affairs, if there are other organizations like this, University of Calgary, Haskins School of Business. I would like to take this message to the people because right now I am one man and there is 130,000 people whose voice, uh, voices would not want this message heard. If you know of a place, let me know. Go ahead. Well, first, thank you very much for this presentation. It's very interesting. Uh, I would like to ask you, like uh, I'm sure all of us here, everyone here deals with a bank or a financial institution of some kind. Now, if uh, someone have a dealing with uh, one of those, what do you think one should do to make sure that the deal he or she got from the bank or the financial institution is not is fair? What can he do? Where can he go to be sure? I would say educate yourself as to what proper standards are. Um, don't necessarily believe what you are told. Uh, from the person who are told it in the industry. Uh, there's some websites around that talk about best practices in the financial industry. The public needs to be brought up to speed on financial literacy, someone was mentioning earlier. I, I have a website called Investor Advocates, which talks about some of the best practices and the worst practices. And the public needs to be more informed about bad practices that unfortunately are considered to be standard industry practice at the moment. And most of all, tell your politicians that you're tired of being taken advantage of. You want independent, objective, best practices in financial regulation. That's uh, the best they have. 
suggest if people are writing that they copy the opposition as well, or the oppositions that are there, and also to remember that handwritten letters, they say, are worth 40, um, one handwritten letter is worth 40 foreign letters, because it shows that you're determined to put it in your own words. Good to know. What do we do about us younger people that can no longer handwrite? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm lost. And send a copy to the Lethbridge Herald or the uh, editorials so that they're aware as well. And I have a couple of suggestions for you as to who to go to as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. It has been my honor to be able to deliver this to you, and I am eternally grateful to uh, SACPUB and Gordon in the corner there and the people who allowed this to happen, all the wonderful volunteers who bring a different message to you to be heard. Thank you very much.